Many metaphors for translation seem to imagine it as a kind of travel, a movement with baggage across some national, cultural, linguistic, and or geographic boundaries, usually from an imagined foreign territory to one's own home turf. In that foreign territory, so, so these metaphors often go, one discovered something or was given something. And in translating that something, one tries to carry it across from over there to right here, provide it a new home, perhaps, new neighbors, if not a new life altogether. This set of spatial relationships has created a very fertile ground for metaphors of translation, with some of the oldest tapping into the notion of the translatio or transfer of a saint's relics from a site of discovery in the ancient world to a newly created cathedral as part of a city's myth of origin. Saint Mark in Venice comes to mind, and that episode adds the intriguing idea of thievery to the mix as two Venetians supposedly stole the remains from Alexandria in the 9th century, bringing them to the lagoon as part of the official origin of the city. Translation and slash as theft is a topic for another post. I suspect these sorts of travel and new life metaphors in the US and perhaps the Americas in general have been inflected somewhat by the notion of immigration. The roots are over there. We are transplanting things to this soil. This is a, there is rupture involved, great distances, perhaps some heartache, something like nostalgia for a lost past, regret, displacement, a lot like exile. But I want to ask, what has been exiled exactly? The text itself? The translation is a new text, another text. The source is back safe at home and hasn't gone anywhere. Or is, is the idea that its spirit somehow still exists latent in the translated version, despite the fact that all the words are different? Does a translated text evoke nostalgia for its own lost past or for some sort of ghost or doppelganger of itself? How else might translated works be thought of as exiles from their homes? The problem I find in such notions has to do with a kind of instability at their center, which we tend to turn into certainty, definiteness, especially when we talk about that thing we always seem to talk about when we talk about translating the original. Textual scholars, people who study the histories of individual works from Homer's Odyssey to Tolstoy's War and Peace, the poems of Emily Dickinson, any serialized 19th century novel, and so on, have developed a detailed and sophisticated apparatus for discussing how unstable and variable the genesis of any work actually turns out to be. As Karen Emmerich has rightly pointed out, all of that instability of the source disappears as soon as we start talking about translation. At that moment, the original becomes one thing when it never was one thing. It was always a mixture of things, editorial versions and authorial revisions, textual redactions and second, third, fourth editions, and so on. The unstable nature of the source also pertains to the metaphors used as the basis for talking about translation. Who this Saint Mark actually was is not entirely clear. Whether those stolen or liberated bones were actually his is even less clear, and what relationship the bones might have to the person, even if they were once located inside the body that was his, is probably the least clear thing of all. I want to ask, what do bones mean? What is their relationship to spirit, let alone soul? Don't you have to invent a story, perhaps lots of stories, about them in order for them to mean something? And of course, this pertains at least as much, if not more, to the stories of immigration to the new world, the sort of 
the sort that might evoke nostalgia, which in turn is based on stories about the old world, that dubious source once again invented stories, interpretations that only come to look definitive when we translate them, turning them into the original. So far, I've only been referring to the source. Once I start thinking about the uh, act of trans translation, things become even less stable. Say you have a source, just one, and you read it carefully, study it, look up all the words and references you might not have known, then what? It's in your head. In what form exactly? Presumably, you've somehow made sense of it to yourself, which means you have an interpretation, at least an implicit one, and it's sitting there in your head. Now what? Well, if you're a translator and not merely a reader, you're going to have to write it all that down. And as we all know, things immediately start to change as soon as one begins to write. You start making little changes, interact with the author and or a series of re uh, reference works, colleague readers maybe, a group of workshop participants, maybe an editor, a copy editor, a teacher, a designer, maybe a marketing department. And that and the book that results, we're assuming you finish it despite all these distractions, turns out to be a mixture of many different people's ideas, suggestions, agendas, theoretical engagements, as well as the conventions of editing, publishing, and literary production and consumption in the receiving culture. After all this, it's no wonder if the translation feels it is an exile or rather if it feels like an exile. These metaphors are never really adequate. Not all translations, however, are like exiles in the same way. They are more akin to expatriates in this regard. Some expats wear an eternal mask of carefree nonchalance on the outside, but they're alone and yearning for home underneath. I would put Nabokov's translation of Pushkin's Eugene Onegin in this category. Others are completely happy in their new home. Even more than that, they are happier than where they than than they were when they started out. They found a, com a new community of readers, uh, not to mention peers, one they never had before. I would put Michael Henry Heim's translation of Milan Kundera's *The Unbearable Lightness of Being* in this category, or maybe Barbara Wright's translation of Raymond Gounod's uh, uh, *Exercises in Style*. Translation as an activity, I suspect, often makes translators feel like exiles, too. They travel to that other place, the place where the source lives, often physically, and at a young enough age for it to be formative and transformational for them. And there they discover, or are given something, and they try to bring it back with them. They try to give it to others, the whole thing, just as they experienced it, because they want to share that experience. They accepted it in a way into their heads and sometimes their hearts, and then now they're trying to write it down so others can take it into theirs. I won't say that this is this is an impossible thing to do. That's too simple. But there is something fundamentally unstable with the basic terms here as well, as if translators were the same in one culture and at one point in their lives as they are in another. We are barely the same when we move from one social role to the next in a single culture. It's a bit ambitious to assume we might maintain even greater identity when moving across different ones, taking up different verbal and meaning-making systems, socializing with different friends, using different gestures, tones of voice, experiencing a different pace of life itself. Why would we assume a work would mean the same thing to us there 
and here, even if we could somehow make it the same thing in both cultures. The instability of the source points to the instability of us. And if there is nostalgia for some lost source in this scenario, it might just as well be for our own past selves as for some supposed original text. I have moved us from a spatial to a temporal metaphor, I realize, from exile in space to exile in time, and to the inevitable nostalgia that accompanies such displacement. It is not the way I usually think about translation. It doesn't make me happy to think about it in these terms. I prefer to focus on translation as being more about creation and gain than about transfer and loss. But nor do I think that it is wrong. The baggage you bring back with you from that other culture, that other life, is with you still. It has a weight to it, even if it is immaterial, and it has a volume despite its lack of extension in space. Inside that volume are thoughts and ideas, experiences and desires that are or were your own experiences of reading and understanding that culture. And now this work comes to stand in for them. Maybe just a little bit. Maybe a lot. And they make it clear to you that you never completely came back from there. And also that you did. And as a translator, you'll never be either altogether there or altogether here again. <laughs>